1: Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA Podcast Network. Thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Monday morning edition of the show. Joining me as always is my co-host Stephen Gillespie and my other co-host Maxwell Baumbach. We are going to have some fun tonight recapping what the hell happened in the Sweet 16 oh boy. and the Elite 8. I, guys, there have been so many upsets at this point, Like I can't, I can't even keep track. So... <laughs> I was feeling pretty decent still, even though my bracket's been busted, right, with the Alabama loss. Still feeling pretty decent coming into today because UConn is going to the Final Four. We're going to talk about one of their guys to lead off the show in a second. I thought Texas was going to be going to the Final Four. They were my pick to come out of that region, and nope, Miami said, screw that. We are going to upset Texas, and we're going to be just another one of these awesome stories that ends up Fun making game, it to the man. final 4 along with Florida Atlantic and San Diego State and then of course as as we just mentioned we have Miami and then Yukon. So whoever picked that final 4 if you're out there <laughs> I I don't know what to say. You got you got Biff's uh Sports Almanac somewhere mm-hmm. out of back to the future and, and I just don't know what to say anymore at this point. But we are going to recap some of the games, but in a way as we do it at No Ceilings, which is draft-centered. We're all focused on the 2023 NBA draft. The good news is, as I'm writing about in, in my column that will also be live on on Monday morning, as well as multiple written features that Steven's either published now, in, in the case of somebody in Jordan Walsh or we're going to talk about a little bit, or uh, that Maxwell's working on, or Steven's eventually working on. Like There are storylines popping out of what's going on in the NCAA tournament, leading to some prospects. Ultimately their stocks rising. I don't think there's really any dramatic cases of anyone necessarily falling on boards, quote unquote. I do think this has been more of a positive tournament to look at as far as yeah, guys are making a name for themselves in the biggest stages. They're really playing themselves into potential first round grades or solidifying themselves as first round guys or, or, in the case of a Jordan Hawkins at UConn, are we about to just thrust this guy into the top 10 conversation of the twenty twenty three NBA draft? These are words, guys, I did not think I would be uttering. But before we get into breaking down Mr. Hawkins' game, Steven, I will start with you first. You were excited to hop on. You you tweeted before I could even get the stream yard set up when we were recording <laughs> this episode tonight. You're fired up. How, how are you doing, man?
0: Man, I just watched one of the most entertaining – matchups that i think i've seen in recent history uh in march madness between texas and miami uh you mentioned that there's going to be a prospect that we're going to be talking about tonight that i'm actually targeting to write for next week and he stood out like perfect timing for me so uh, victory lap done and over i'm excited for the show
1: maxwell you are the the resident draft sicko at those Mm -hmm. ceilings this is this is what you live for you live for the upsets you want to talk Mm -hmm. about the obscure prospects on (laughs) these smaller teams do do Mm -hmm. you have any John L. Davis thoughts for for us tonight as as you get into your intro of how you're doing how you've enjoyed the tournament
2: yeah I I like John L. Davis I feel like I'm not like crazy about John L. Davis I I feel like I'm being a big bummer now because everyone's (laughs) excited about him but like I don't know. I checked in on them a few times this season. I like him. Um, Elijah Martin. I think I, I know he's smaller, but I, I like him quite a bit too. Um, but he just didn't really get a whole lot better this year. I just think this is a good team. It's a good, well-coached team. Dusty Ray's had a phenomenal yep. job. And I think we need to like, I, and this is like coming from a guy who, tries to kick the tires on everybody. I think we need to stop rushing. This guy's a prospect. This guy's a prospect, whatever. Like sometimes it's just good team basketball and guys win games and it is what it is. And that's not to say they can never be real prospects. So they shouldn't consider testing the waters if they feel that there's interest out there. Um, Yeah. I like John L Davis. I'm just not all the way there. I think his given his size, the playmaking needs to be further along than it is. He's a very low block rate guy, uh, which is historically an issue. The three point volume is kind of low. Uh, so I think people are getting a little card of the head of the horse with him being, a, being like a, t- a 2023 prospect. But I like him. We'll see where he goes next year. He's shown he can get it done in, in big moments against big teams. So.
1: Listen, man, I caught you off guard. I had to ask you that question. <laughs> yeah. I had to give the people what they wanted from our own Maxwell Baubach. So, mm-hmm. OK, we're, we're going to get into this. So the, the biggest story to me in terms of draft storylines right now in the NCAA tournament would be what Jordan Hawkins and UConn have done across two games, right? They, they haven't just marched on to the final four guys. This team has been absolutely dominant, right? So they go into the sweet 16 against an Arkansas team who as, as Steven and I discussed, like for my money, they had the two best wins in the tournament heading into the sweet 16 Mm -hmm. Uh, on Thursday night. They Arkansas was able to beat up on, on Kansas in, in a great game. And so they were coming in pretty hot. UConn had been able to knock off Iona, right, and then they won their second game to get to the Sweet 16. UConn absolutely drubbed Arkansas, 88 to 65. Hawkins versus Arkansas, 24 points, six of 13 from the field, three of nine from three point line, uh, but nine of nine from from the charity stripe. So you love to see another dimension to his game he's not just being the movement shooter that we know him to be although i know we'll definitely break down some of that in a second here but being able to get to the line draw those fouls at such a high rate and then naturally being the shooter that he is we know that he's going to knock them down when he gets there and then against gonzaga in the elite eight another game the yukon won 82 to 54 that game never felt close to me when i was watching that either which is just like i know the yukon was one of the most complete teams coming in i i'm Mad that I didn't pick them to win it all over Alabama. I had Alabama beating UConn in my personal bracket, but Hawkins again against Gonzaga, 20 points, six of 10 from three point range, two of three from the line, six rebounds. He He's just getting it done guys. Like the, There's just little doubts in terms of he's going to put the ball in the basket in any sort of way that this team needs him to do so right now. And the most fun thing about his game is that I think a lot of those same ways that he's getting points now, they're going to translate at the NBA level, right? Spot up shooting, him coming off screens, working off handoffs, him getting out in transition, sprinting to the opposite corner, getting set up, letting that three fly. Um, He's been much better at turning the corner when he's been involved in like a handoff or they have him off a screen, working a little bit of a give and go action. He turns that corner really well when he gets that free line open to the basket. He can get there. He can get all the way and finish. He's a better, better leaper than I think we want to give him credit for when he gets to the basket. Or as we've seen now in multiple tournament games, he can draw the contact. He's not, not scared of contact. He will hunt for it and he will get to the line and he will knock those free throws down. So I know that there's, there's different ways that we can nitpick his game, but I really just want to stick with a lot of the, a lot of the positives. Maxwell, I'll I'll start with you first. Mm -hmm. Jordan Hawkins, has has he raised his stock for you in the tournament? Are you kind of just trying to stay pat and, and not overreact too much? Like, where are you at right now?
2: Yeah, um, he definitely hasn't hurt himself. Um, I spoke with somebody a little bit before, I think even before the Big East tournament started, and they were just mm-hmm. kind of, we were just workshopping guys back and forth, and they mentioned Hawkins. Um, and around that time, I mentioned I think I had him like t- around twenty, um, yeah, okay. and I made the comment that like. I don't really see myself lowering him because I do believe that given the tenacity that he plays defense with the way that he hustles, the way that he dies through loose balls, the way that he can contain people at the point of attack and being just a ridiculous, excellent high volume movement shooter um, that it's really easy to have faith in when he's also an 88% free throw shooter. And like yep. just the shot difficulty is off the charts and like, he's just never, out of his depth in any scenario as a shooter, his release is lightning quick too. So it's not even like you can point to that and be like, well, the form's kind of funky. It mm-hmm. takes forever to get it off. There's none of that. Like there's no questions about him as a shooter. Um, and for me, if I'm like firm, like this guy is an NBA player, I I do everything I can to keep him in the top 20. Um, just because generally you're looking around 20 NBA players in a given draft. So like I said, then like, I, I can't get below 20 um i do think he is moving up for me a little bit with this um just because i do think he's showing more feel on the court i think his sense for when he has the guy behind him coming off of screens and off of movement and he knows that with where his momentum's at it would be better for him to get inside than launch the three he's gotten a lot better at that um i think his passing has been a little bit better i still wish there was like a bit more juice and creativity to him as a passer than like
1: we we all do it, yeah it's
2: it's pretty just straightforward and basic. Um the athleticism is the big thing I'm kind of torn on still to where it's why? like why I'm
1: curious why
2: because I it's just not he's just not consistently getting up at the rim well. Sure. And it's limited him as a finisher. And like if if it was a consistent thing it would be like oh I, I might take this guy top ten. Um where with where the finishing is right now i i'm just a little bit concerned like I, I if i could feel a little bit better about how he plays chase off the line i could i could be really really into him um and i just don't totally buy that element of his game yet so i'm just not quite there he was 52.7 percent of the room overall this season 48.3 percent in the half court like that's a really bad number that's a really yeah. bad number and i know he's playing in a good conference but like I don't know. There is the real "what if he gets chased off the line" question with them. Um, I think because of his dynamism as a shooter, his the way that he is able to just change directions on the perimeter and continue to get himself open, like it's it, it's not a it's not a killer for me. Like it's not something where I'm like, oh, it's such a big red flag. I, I can't roll with him. But um, yeah, it doesn't limit like the, his effectiveness.
1: The thing that brings me back to that point, though, before I, I let Stephen chime in here, I want to get his thoughts on on Hawkins and where he's at for him. I would be more concerned about it if Hawkins wasn't as good of a contested jump shooter as he is. Like, nothing seems to phase this guy in terms of, you know, somebody's running out, getting hard closeout on him. Like, he's still lightning quick with the release. Like, he's still making that three. Even when he gets chased off one of those closeouts, for example, Stephen, like, he's able to hit those one, two, triple pull-ups. And even Mm -hmm. if somebody else is coming over to help get a good hand up in his face, He's been hitting some tough jump shots, particularly in this tournament, to where does does he, always, does he have to get all the way to the rim at, at all times? Like, to me, even more so than the at-rim finishing, I wish he had a floater game that he could yeah. fall back on. Because right now, it seems like he just doesn't have one period. He's attempted 13 runners per synergy this year. He's one of 13 on those. So not only is he a very low percentage on that type of a shot, he just hasn't attempted many periods. So that... That more so than the at rim stuff that Maxwell was talking about, I think I would like to see more of because when we talk about athleticism and shock creation, right? How quickly he's running off of every action that he's a part of. He will tire out defenses, defenders particularly, to no tomorrow. Right, like somebody has to keep up with him over the course of a game. Mm-hmm. He's he's the next guy that's going to come into the NBA and run as many miles as like a JJ Reddick or a Seth Curry. He's just going to wear guys down. They'll be like, I really have to guard this guy for for like thirty minutes. Like like why me? Why can I guard anyone else on the floor? So to to that degree, I don't know, man. Like like Hawkins just seems like one of these safer bets that I can make in the draft, similar to what like Maxwell was talking about. But mm-hmm. as as Corey and, and Rucker and some of the other guys that our in collective have been talking about in terms of his draft stock, like why can't he challenge inside the top 10, depending on what team is potentially making the pick, especially if you're like the Toronto Raptors or an Orlando Magic, where you not only have a big man similar to what he's had in UConn to set screens at the top, but then you have these bigger wings and forwards like Apollo and a Franz. Or like a Scotty Barnes and a Pascal Siakam who can also work with Hawkins off some of those actions. Then he throw in some of the improvements he's shown as like a pick and roll guy, a DHO guy. Like, it, it, am I projecting too high of a ceiling for him at this point, Stephen? Or are you starting to, to maybe see where that train could be rolling?
0: Uh, so there's two sides to every coin, right, Nathan? Like, first off, I want to start off with something I'm going to be talking about a little bit in my piece for next week is that. I have to like really guard myself and guard um, what I'm watching right now. And it's not that I don't think what Jordan Hawkins is doing right now is real. It's just that there are so many prospects that I have ranked ahead of him that are just not playing basketball right now. So like how much of like recency or relevancy bias, like Jordan Hawkins is in my face on a nightly basis now. And he is a very (laughs) exciting player. Right. But. I'm not watching Bryce Senseba right now. I'm not watching Max Lewis right now. I'm not watching Gigi Jackson because they've just been out of the tournament, right? So those are the players that unfortunately fall down boards. And we say things all the time like, well, I don't let the tournament impact the way that I view the game. I think that we do, right? I think that we want to make it an educated, you know, maybe persuasion a little bit, but the pe- we don't see Bryce Sensiball moving up draft boards right now, Nathan, because he's done playing basketball. Like we're not making cases for Gigi Jackson to rise, but we're talking about Jordan Hawkins because he's blowing up right now, and and he's and he's rising up boards because he's in our face, he's in our eyes, and he's playing really really good basketball. So there's that side of the coin. Now on the other side. I think that Maxwell brought up a great point by saying that he wishes he was a better creator and, and and did more things with the ball in his hand. But I think that he still presents a lot of value, and I'm not saying Maxwell isn't saying that, right? As like mm-hmm. a, what Corey calls like a point .5 player, right? Like yep. has the ball, make the next read. And Nathan, to your point, he's going to run all around the court. Like if he can make a quick entry pass to a posted up big man, or if he can make the next connective pass over to a guy on the top of the key or in the corner – and then just relocate with the ball, right? Like, he can do that, and that presents tremendous value. Like, if he comes into the NBA and he is Buddy Hill 2.0, like, you draft that guy much higher than what I have him on my board right now. So I'm starting to, like, reconsider where I have him because there is a lot of value in what that type of player that we're watching right now and Jordan Hawkins is I also at the same time just want to kind of pace myself and watch other guys that aren't prevalent in our eyes right now and not let them fall because I'm watching more Jordan Hawkins right now
1: that's very fair Maxwell you looked like you might have wanted to, to jump in on, on some of that
2: yeah no I, I agree completely I think the 0.5 point is great and I think I think it serves like two really important functions for him I think the first is like Steven mentioned like he just keeps it moving. Like he's not he's not gonna stop the ball. He's not gonna bring your offense to a halt. Um, but he's also started to get better at something that I really liked about Hyun Jung Lee last year, which is like the give and give back pass, where it's like mm-hmm. I'm taking it, I'm giving it back to you, I'm quickly relocating yep. and you can give it right back to me. That like, give and go back element is of his so game smooth, yeah. His his really come along, I feel like the last couple months, and like that is just so important for him as a player. So um, yeah, really, really happy with, with what we've seen on him. And I think Steven's point is like a really good one. I think it's one that applies to a lot of people right now. Like I keep thinking like, I am really liking this guy, but I need to make sure I'm keeping the context of like, yeah, I need to evaluate them in terms of, of everybody else and not just be like, well, he looks great. He's got to be in this particular draft range because I think he looks good right now.
1: Is he the best shooter? in this draft i think that that question's been answered right yeah i think and i I think as a prospect i have i have come around to valuing what he does on the floor more than drafting into somebody like brady dick for example which like a few months ago we might have thought that was crazy to say but when you actually break down brady's game when you look at his body his fluidity he just doesn't move the same way on the court as somebody like a Jordan Hawkins. He's much more of like a spot up guy. If he gets to like a one two dribble pull up, but he doesn't bring to me nearly the same type of give and go value that Maxwell was talking about. Or he gets or the, to the
0: rim decently the, the though. Like
1: Dick
2: does get to the rim well, I will say, yeah. and he gets he gets up better at the rim too. Yeah,
1: he he does. He he absolutely does. But I don't know.
0: Better man. passer too, probably. Like I don't know. I, I still like Grady Dick. I still like them.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't yeah, I, I, I'm i yeah. not saying that like Grady Dicks falling outside of the top 25 of my board. I just sure, think in yeah. terms of those two players, I think i moved Hawkins ahead. I, I, w- I would not have Hawkins inside the top 10 of my personal board. I think what, what we're doing in those ceilings, we're trying to project all of these guys forward. We're not, you know, creating a team, team board, team specific board, for example, where we have specific needs that we're trying to fill. So the goals that we're trying to fill and we're looking yeah. at X, Y, and Z differently, you know, I'm still probably taking a guy like Bryce Sensebaugh uh, ahead of somebody like a Jordan Hawkins, for example. But I think the gap has certainly shifted the other direction in terms of like a Hawkins versus Grady Dick. And the one point that I've thought of is that I know Gary Trent is a better at rim finisher right? He was at college. And and I think he's going to hold on to that point, at least for a while in the NBA, just because of how he's built. He's 20 pounds thicker than Jordan Hawkins. But you look at all these other parts of their games, which they already play a similar game. And Mm -hmm. Jordan Hawkins actually rates out better and projects better moving forward than somebody like a Gary Trent, who when he came out of school, I had him as the 14th overall player on my board. He went the 37th pick so he was a second round guy, he fell down way too far and and honestly I I, I
0: imagine Nathan just screaming at the TV for like probably 40 minutes. I then, well draft.
1: well that's that's when I was wor- working working in in a draft room, in a war room and I was like why why is Gary Trent just falling down? and, and, and being taken in the second round. Like I, I love, I love the high school film with him. He was much Mm -hmm. more of like a primary guy in high school. And that's what I really wanted to weigh and, and carry more into the evaluation. But if I had Gary Trent there and I think Jordan Hawkins is a better prospect than Gary Trent, then why wouldn't I have Jordan Hawkins in the same range in this draft? Is the talent disparity really that much different in what we perceive as being a better draft? I, I, I can't answer that question. But then again, 2018, 2018 was a wild draft in and of itself, yes. right? Like that actually ended up being a, a loaded draft class. Now that we have, you know, you know, hindsight's 2020, right? At the time, we may have thought that this draft class would be deeper into the later parts of the lottery than that one. But that one's churned out a, a, a damn good number of players who have made it to second contracts and are succeeding and thriving in the NBA. And I guess the last point that I'll bring up with Hawkins before we move on, we we've really started to have some great discussion amongst us and amongst others in those ceilings when we're projecting these guys to second contracts and having lengthier careers in the NBA. And Hawkins just seems like one of these guys that's going to stick around, right? Like like a JJ Redick or a Seth Curry or Gary Trent that I just brought up as an example. These are all guys who they've made quite a bit of money in their NBA careers, or they're going to continue making quite a bit of money in their NBA careers. So if we think that Hawkins is on that same path, knowing what usually happens historically when looking back at these draft classes, that like maybe 13 to 16 of these guys are playing, you know, 20 plus minute night roles three to four years from now in the NBA. Why are we not valuing Hawkins uh, amongst a lot of these names? And that's why, he's propelled himself into the lottery on my big board. I, I, I hmm. still have to make some revisions to my board as we head into our post tournament, no stillness composite update. I will get that together, but I can almost assure you that Hawkins is going to be in my lottery. And that was a sentence I really didn't think I'd be uttering at this point. I, I, I viewed him be preseason as more of a spot up guy. I, mm-hmm. I, I understood the amount of threes he was taking, the historic rate he was taking them at and making them. I, I got all of that, but I didn't see all of these different ways in which he's now shown that he can get his shot. And there's there, there's very little argument left in front of me that, that's keeping me from saying Jordan Hawkins can't get a bucket X, Y, and Z. I think he can actually get more buckets in ways that, than we initially thought preseason, and that's dramatically risen him. Up my board, so that's that's like my two cents about Jordan Hawkins. That, that I had to get out there. The good news is I'm done. I'm done blabbering about some of these prospects for a while because we're going to dig into some of the guys in relation to tournament action that Stephen and Max are actually writing pieces about or have written pieces about. They're are good names. They're hot names, and I'm glad that they're the ones who can dive a little bit deeper into their games. So Stephen, you actually just had a piece published the day that we're recording this podcast mm-hmm. about. Mr. Jordan Walsh out of Arkansas. who did another scout takes piece on, on Jordan Walsh. Unfortunately, as we outline, Arkansas's run, the NCAA tournament is over, but he is a guy who really helped himself in, in the tournament. Yeah. And honestly, dating back to the, the end of the regular season for Arkansas and the SEC. So why don't you take a few minutes here to talk about Jordan Walsh, maybe some of the things that you saw from him in the tournament, and most importantly, digging back into your piece Where are some of the other scouts that you talk to at on somebody like a Jordan Walsh?
0: Well, yeah, so one of my favorite things about doing this, like scout takes that I've been doing, I did one previously with uh, Jalen Hushafino, a guy that Maxwell was really big on coming into the year and told us all to to keep an eye out for. And I'm incredibly high on him now. But for Jordan Walsh, it was everybody was kind of expecting him to be a first-round guy coming into this year, right? Like when I do these scout take pieces, I not only ask uh, other scouts opinions, but I go back in our archives, right? Like the the IPOs that Corey Tullibov brings together one of my favorite things to kind of call back to when I do these pieces. And, yeah, I mean, the consensus had Walsh at about 20, right? So, like, pretty easily a first-round pick. And then we started seeing injuries with, like, Brazil and, of course, Nick Smith Jr. kind of on and off again throughout the season. And, unfortunately, you know, it wouldn't be an Arkansas conversation if we didn't talk about the floor spacing that they uh, had throughout the season. And Walsh not being an offensive weapon, like, it really – honed and shined a lot of spotlight on his weaknesses as a player and that has kept him as like a second round prospect for the consensus ever since like january hit Mm -hmm. um going back and looking at those draft updates that corey put brings together and then we start getting into the postseason runs like the sec tournament and of course march madness Again, talking about like how other players are out of the spotlight, this is actually one of the benefits of March Madness. It's not to say like, hey, is this a guy? It's to really force us to, instead of trying to watch thousands of players, the field just kind of narrows down, right? So we're watching Jordan Walsh a little bit more closely than we probably were several months ago. And now we're starting to see him like really work his way into becoming a really talented defender, like a multi-positional guy, very athletic, very strong, good rebounder. There's some connective passive flashes that some people get excited Mm -hmm. about. And he started to look a little bit more confident with the three point shot um, in his last couple games. And although I wish that I would have seen that all season long, that has been a very recent development for him. And I think that that's something that the right people within his circle are getting in his ear and saying, Hey, look, man, like if you really want to make this push late season, you got to start being confident from the three point shot. And although he's not really making them at a great clip, you want to see prospects experiment. You want to see them like show some stuff, right? That's the first way to get good at something is, is to practice doing it right. Um, and that's kind of what the scouts were saying that I spoke to. A lot of them were um, really big on his defense. A lot of concerns offensively, you know, two of the scouts that I spoke to uh, had mentioned that in the half court, if you can't shoot, that really limits you. Right. But Nathan, I know that you spoke on the defensive versatility that he has, his ability as a slasher, the growing playmaking skills, and a lot of us feel confident that at some point the shot will be at least respectable, right? So all of that has kind of led uh, one of the scouts that I talked to thought that he was uh, an NBA guy this year. The other two were saying that he would probably benefit more by coming back um, to college or maybe the G League Ignite, but for whatever reason, people don't want him to come back to Arkansas. And I'm not quite sure why, because if he is to come back, I think Arkansas playing for coach Musk is going to empower him a lot more. And with guys like Anthony black and uh, Nick Smith jr. Being gone, that's going to give him more of a, I think a prominent role offensively, but that's kind of the, the consensus among the scouts that I've spoken to is that they like Walsh. They want him to improve these developmental reps that Nathan, like how you're saying for the second contract type players, they need developmental reps. And if they declare and enter the draft at the wrong time and are taken too low, how many reps are they really going to get?
1: Well, and to your point, Stephen, just really quick before I go to Maxwell, in regards to the Arkansas situation, you yourself have talked about how Musselman's yeah. a, a really player friendly coach who gives mm-hmm. his guys every opportunity to show that they can succeed in a given situation. Just look no further than Nick Smith Jr., who was a shell of himself through the yeah. NCAA tournament run. And in those three games, he still started for Arkansas, even when I thought maybe you should pull him to, to go to a more defensive heavy lineup to, to get your team off to a better, more competitive start in some of these games. He's still one with Nick Smith Jr. And even though it didn't work out for Smith, you know, Musselman showed that I still have confidence in you. I still believe you can do your job yeah. and get it done. So if Jordan Walsh goes back to Arkansas, has that big summer that we would hope that he could have in terms of developing and rounding out some of his other skills so that he's more ready to impact the game offensively from day one, Musselman is the type of coach that will empower him to to take advantage of that work that he did and show that he can do it on the court. So yeah, I I wouldn't get that either. I would 100% want to go back to Arkansas. Maxwell, how do you you feel about somebody like Jordan Walsh and what you've watched in the tournament?
2: Yeah, I... uh... I'm I'm trying I'm trying to do the thing that we talked about earlier of like not putting the cart in front of the horse because I I yep. really like how Jordan Walsh looked really all year like I like him a lot I just didn't really yeah. anticipate him going in this year because I sure I feel like there had been just like mainstream talk like I feel like I remember Vicini or somebody mentioning earlier in the year that like if he's not a first round guy he's probably gonna go back or whatever but like I I wouldn't be stunned if a team was like we want him in the first round. I I I'm, I'm not there personally, but um I could see it. I think he's a really phenomenal defender. I think he's a really smart player. I really think just based on how hard he works, I'm a little more willing to buy the shot mm-hmm. than I think I would be with like a guy who didn't play this hard. <laughs> I I think my other kind of hang up Pro Move him, Maxwell. <laughs> yeah. I think my other uh my other big hang up with Walsh I think is just the time that he can take on the floor i think it's good to be patient i think it's good to like not force stuff um but at the same time he does go like back to the basket a lot like there's a lot of just like turning his back not being super quick with his decisions and i think he can speed that stuff up like i don't think it's a mental processing issue it's just been sort of how he was allowed to play like if you look at the high school games i think he was at link right in high school Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like he kind of got to run the show with the ball in his hands. And like he got to be really patient because he was one of their best offensive options. Um,
1: But he also was on that
2: same team, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But but Mm -hmm. like the the high school stuff, too, like he also was very willing to physically dominate his opponents. And that's what gave him the edge versus, hey, Uh I got to bake a little bit more skill into my attack.
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because like I, I kind of wanted to bring up Phillips here. I think one thing that Walsh does have going for him is that just from a physical standpoint, he is very well-developed. Yeah. Um, so I do think on that end, if you're like, I'm drafting him to play defense right away, I actually kind of like Jordan Walsh a little bit better than Julian Phillips on that specific front. I'm not ready to call him a better prospect as a whole, um, but I do just think the fact that he's physically going to be able to come in and guard and handle NBA physicality is like a huge, huge check mark for him. Um, But yeah, I'd like him to go back just because I want to see him further develop the shot, and I want to see him uh, just speed up the decision-making and and play a little bit more of a modern game that can show he's a little bit more adaptable to a
1: role. I've leaned away from more theoretical prospects when evaluating for the NBA draft up to this point, but the thing about Walsh is, even though more of his game is like theoretical at this point, I still see the pathway forward and Mm -hmm. I still get really excited about the type of player that, that I think he can become like, maybe I'm seeing things for him that other scouts just don't. And that can absolutely be wrong. Like I can certainly end up being wrong. He never takes meaningful steps forward in, in, point a or point B but if he does take meaningful steps forward in those areas we're talking about him as like a top 20 player mm-hmm. in this draft class. So it is it is about projecting forward a team would have to be patient with him and and give him the right amount of time to to develop in like a G League situation or whatever the case may be. This is why I do think he should go ultimately go back to school and not declare for the draft yeah. this year. But if he was determined to be in the 2023 NBA draft I would take him in in the back end of the first round. I would take a flyer on him.
2: I I also think to your point too about him going back, like I think when you're that smart and when you can guard like that, you're never like out of the conversation. Like I think about a guy like a Josiah Jordan James, where it's just like every year, like he's just kind in the mix. Like nobody's Mm -hmm. like rushing to draft Josiah Jordan James, but like he's going to get a cup of coffee. Somebody's going to try with him. He's going to play professional basketball. And every year people are like, Oh yeah, like I I like Josiah Jordan James. Like he's not gonna completely fall by the wayside when he has yeah. that size decision making and skill set. Like it just will not happen.
1: Right. And and I don't think where his offensive game is right now, it we we want to see him go back so that he can expand upon his offensive game. But even if it would remain more of kind of like what it's been this year, I don't think it's going to get worse. Which is yep. why, to your point, Maxwell, like, I don't really see his draft stock changing all too much. So he's one of those guys where, yeah, well, there's there's plenty of examples we've studied where they went back to school. They actually did themselves a disservice for whatever reason. They weren't as efficient in their role. They couldn't handle more volume. With Harrison Walsh, Bieber. it's more of like an experimentation <laughs> type of thing, right? Like I, I Steven's gotta gotta sneak those those comments in there. But <laughs> with Walsh, it's more like an experimental thing, right? Like if we yeah. can see more from him, great, awesome. We're gonna propel him up the board even more. If we don't get to see those things from him, it's not the end of the world. He still has value, he still has a role. And if he can just be marginally better as a spot up shooter, then it's like to me, there's just too complete of a package there to, to turn him away. So it's like, and that's, I can understand yeah. why he wouldn't go back, but I don't know it, with, with, with how with how we're perceiving what his stock would be, even if it didn't go the best way possible. If he went back, like why not take that extra developmental year and then crash the party? And in what's being perceived now, we we all know how stupid this can be at times. But being perceived now as a weaker draft class. Why not take the opportunity to better your case? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple things in play there. One, uh, we we're all talking about just like like how you said, Nathan, that this draft class is weaker, but we're also talking about a number of prospects need to go back into another weaker draft class, right? So that's kind of strange. There were there um, so many guys go back be that it becomes
2: yeah. not weak. Yeah,
0: yeah. But the thing is with Jordan, I think that the smart thing is is to wait until like before the clock strikes midnight to make your decision, because I think that there are going to be a number of guys before him that have higher ceilings probably, but also because of that, they might want to return and polish up some of their deficiencies to get like, or like clearly defined like lottery pick. So there might be a number of people that on my board ahead of him that come back to school. So that might play into his hand, but wherever he gets drafted, I just worry that he goes to a situation where there's expectations on the team to perform in the playoffs and he can't really have those opportunities to develop. And Nathan, I told you that I think he's an NBA player, but if he can develop his handle a little bit, and if he can develop a reliable jump shot, he goes from like, you know, uh, Andre Roberson to Tabo Cephalosha type player. Like if mm-hmm. he can handle pass and shoot a little bit better, you know, so that's just, it. just depends on what type of NBA player he wants to ultimately be as to whether or not he should declare, in my
1: opinion. He, he's going to be a fascinating case study to, to monitor. And obviously, as we're continuing to evaluate for the twenty twenty three NBA draft, and as we move forward potentially in the next year, if he comes back, really fascinating story to, to keep yeah. an eye on. Maxwell. Yes. You're up, buddy. This is this is yeah. your time to shine. You are excited mm-hmm. about Creighton's Trey Alexander. The, the bad so. news is, Creighton is done playing. They lost the Elite Eight to San Diego State. That that was that was a controversial ending. I think y'all probably think the right call was made at the end of the game, but nevertheless, I I hate when I have to watch a game and like be decided on on like a free throw like that, right? Like, but Creighton still played a hell of a game, as Steven said. They they had a masterful run in the tournament. They came together as a team played much more like the squad that we thought was going to be more dominant during the regular season. Like preseason, there Mm. were so many people telling any other bettors out there, like put your futures bets in on Creighton to to win the national championship. There is this much talent on this team. They started to come together and show that. And one of the key ingredients behind that elite eight run was a guy who Maxwell was actually publishing a piece on Tuesday, the prospect overview He's going to talk about Trey Alexander. So Maxwell through four NCAA tournament games, Mm -hmm. as well as going back through your deeper film dive into his regular season play. What did you see from Trey Alexander? Why are you excited to, to really pump him up in the draft conversation?
2: I just think he's like better than I realized. And I liked him all year. Like Trey Alexander, I think has been on like every, I think he's been on every top 60 that I've submitted this year. Like I, I've always liked him, uh, liked him coming into the year. He was the guy that I kind of had eyes on last year, um, just going forward, not like, oh, you should enter the draft last year. Last year, he shot like 27% for three. But what was so appealing about him was that he was one of the – and I put this in my column, like, he was one of the easiest guys to point to and be like, that guy is going to shoot next year. Just you watch him in the mid-range. The yeah. stroke is gorgeous. You got to get to his spots, really high uh, free throw percentage. So just like – a very easy, obvious guy to point to back. I think he's gonna shoot it a little bit better. Um, but he shot it a lot better this year. He's still a phenomenal mm-hmm. free throw shooter, 82.4 percent, um, but forty-two point three percent from three on four point three per game. Good um, attempt, right? Yep. Yes. And the other thing with him too is like he's very good on dribble pull-ups and he's really good on long twos. Like both of those percentages are like low to mid forties as well. Um, so it's not a case of like let's have this really good year from three. But like, if you look at some of the numbers around it, it doesn't quite add up. Like the numbers add up. Trey Alexander can shoot the basketball period point blank. Um, I picked, I I texted Corey earlier just to pick his brain about Trey. I was like, Hey, is there anything that jumps out to you? I I like to just occasionally throw, throw players at different people and be like, Hey, I really like this guy. Is there something you see that makes you be like, no absolutely not Mm. and one of the first things he mentioned was he was like i when i saw him in person i just loved how easy his shot looked so it's like all right the shot is real like i'm not just seeing it it's not just like one year somehow all the percentages aligned he's a real deal shooter
1: can Um, can i read you some numbers that would absolutely back up your case so 92nd percentile in spot up scoring 87th percentile in jump shots overall 92nd percentile on catch and shoot shots, and to mm-hmm. me, other than the dribble jumper number, which is 75th percentile, the coup de gras of all of these stats: 97th percentile on guarded catch and shoot looks. So yep. nothing is phasing this guy, right? You can firmly slot him into an off-ball roll, and if the ball gets swung around or kicked around to him you know that he's knocking down that shot, but I know Maxwell that it's not just about the off ball equity that he's proven he has because of the jump mm-hmm. shooting. You're starting to buy into him as an on ball guy. I, I think. Yeah. As well.
2: Yeah. I, and I liked him as an on ball guy before, but I think this dive was where like, I really came out just wanting to buy all the stock on earth. Um <laughs> Cause like, like, yeah, like it's, it's valuable. It's valuable to be six foot four. An announcer in a game the other day said he had a had a six nine wingspan. So that's good to know. He's got, he's got a solid length. Um <laughs> that's stupid. Yeah, so that's that's good. Um, and like there's some value to that, but like six six four guy, six nine wingspan that like catches and shoots isn't an exciting player. I think what is very exciting is that um I really believe what he can be is like a second side creator or tertiary playmaker in an offense. Um, and I do think he's a point guard, and I know that this is tricky because he – doesn't have point guard usage he doesn't get to operate on point guard volume um but last year there was a stretch where uh ryan Hart was injured he averaged 4.3 assists per game as a freshman and he's just so much more efficient running pick and roll this year versus last year he is and that so was good during offense dude. yes he's so good and that run last year we had the 4.3 assists per game was during the big east and ncaa tournament so it's not like the Mickey Mouse portion of the off, you know, <laughs> he wasn't playing, you know, Illinois D three program, Olivet Nazarene or something like that. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was playing real schools. So uh, no offense to Olivet Nazarene's athletics program. I have no idea how they are at basketball. I just know that that's a school around here where the bears used to have training camp. So, uh, so I use them as an example, but he is a very good pick and roll score. Um, and a very good pick and roll passer. The, the passing is, is good. It's not great. It's the pick and roll scoring and like, footwork that really jumped out to me. Um he is so fluid. Is a mm-hmm. decision maker and on-ball operator that he doesn't telegraph anything. He's never overly locked into like I'm trying to get here or I'm going to shoot it or I need to get my shot here. Everything is reactive. It is all yep. I'm going to do this, I'm going to see how you react and then I'll do this, I'll do that. Doesn't pick up the ball in pick and roll settings like just really keeps his dribble alive and breaks you down until he gets what he wants. And I was just gonna do, do you up, ever like,
1: see him like ever making the the wrong decision in terms of like when to accept the screen, what direction he's going no, when he rejects he it? Is, like he reads it perfectly at the top, really yeah. dynamic.
2: Yeah, he's really, and that's like one of the first things I wrote about is like, it, it, him as a pick and roll scorer is that like it's very hard to know what he's going to do initially, like before he even starts his attack he's very good about like rejecting or splitting the middle or just reusing yeah. the screen or whatever so it's like not only is it a conundrum for the person guarding the ball it's a conundrum for the second level defender and he has a really good sense like one of the best things about him as a pick and roll passer is it's not just like oh he's good at like throwing lobs he's very aware of where help is coming from and where his guys are on the court um so if someone is helping too far off the weak side he knows like i got my guy on the weak side he hits him um so yeah, he just has this excellent feel of the court and this really great ability to keep his options open and not be too locked in to whatever he's trying to accomplish at any time. So I think because of the situation, like he is in a very, um, very like democratic, I guess, offense where it's like everyone kind of gets gets their share. Like Kaluma gets to be on the ball sometimes. Shireman gets to be on the ball. Nemhard obviously gets to be on the ball. Cockburner just kind of gets to be fed, which like, I think that's all he wants. Uh, yeah. yeah, like all those guys have the ball a little bit. So he doesn't really get to operate with point guard volume. Um, but if you just look at him compared to like a lot of other combo guards, um, the numbers like line up pretty well in terms of like usage efficiency, his assist rate looks low. If we're just talking about as a point guard, but if you contextualize him among guys like, like Emmanuel quickly or, uh, Tyler hero or Jordan Poole or guys who also are combos that played alongside, other people um he's he's like right right in that same mix i think that the knock would be that he's maybe not as athletic or as bursty or wiggly is those players um but as i outline the piece he still gets to the rim a lot more than i thought he did and he gets there unassisted a lot um and while he may not have that same burst or that same first step uh he is a very good defender he's a lot better defensively than those guys were coming out and that's not a be all end all, but I think that the fact that he is like a really dog determined defender um, is a big, big value add because he's a guy you can play in a playoff game. A lot of times we talk about these combo guards that know how to score and know how to play make a little bit. And they're usually a disaster on defense. It feels like a lot of the time with guys in that archetype and he's not. Um, so if it all clicks for this is a guard um, that can give you, you know, some, some nice playmaking can really space the floor and defense at a level that you can, you can, play him in a playoff game everything's there he's not going to get played off the court in any single facet
1: there's two things that stand out to me uh, about trey the first is i i am a sucker for guards who snake ball screens as well as he does mm-hmm. and are just like absolutely lethal in the mid-range like that that that's a borderline unguardable shot when, when you're that good at, at playing ball screen offense like that and you are that comfortable in getting to those spots and rising and firing in the mid-range it's it's how how do you defend that adequately? Like every single trip down the floor, like ultimately you can't, especially when what Maxwell is talking about, how he reads, reacts, everything is reactionary. He's going to know when he can go to those spots and and make that type of move in a ball screen. It's very hard to stop. And the other thing, I think when we talk about getting to the rim, I think everybody has in their mind, like, he's getting to the rim all the way for like a layup opportunity. Right. I think getting to the rim can also be defined at least in my eyes is like, is he consistently getting two feet in the paint?
0: Which he is because he
1: settles for a lot of those like fall away type pull up shots, like just inside like the free throw line, but he can consistently get two feet in the paint and he has the touch to kind of hit those tough, you know, runners or middies or whatever the case may be. So even if he's not, attempting as, as many quote-unquote layups as maybe we'd like, or he doesn't have the highest percentage on those types of shots, he is still a very effective player when he can get two feet in the pain. And then if he's living on the wings, if he's up uh, uh, at the top outside the three-point line, like this guy can just generate efficient offense in a number of different ways. And Maxwell didn't even hit too hard on the defense, which I think this guy is also really a good. really good point of attack defender. Yeah. So, Steven, I'll ask you this question. I don't know if you see him as a potential starter in the NBA or not, but what swung me around to Trey Alexander, and I think Maxwell would agree with this point, even if he's a guy who you would project to be much safer coming off your bench, I would Mm -hmm. still love to have this guy in the top eight, nine of my rotation. At the end of the day, when we talk about when I'm doing some of my research, for example, or conversations, we've had like 20 plus minutes a night, guys, that's still Mm -hmm. within like that top eight, maybe top nine of a rotation. Those are the types of guys that, that, that are having lengthier careers and are getting more opportunities. And, and Trey Alexander, even at like a floor level, is kind of fitting that bill for me. So what, why don't I have him higher on my board? Do you feel the same way?
0: Yeah, I'm asking myself that same question. And I think Maxwell did a really great job of outlining the offense. And one thing I would just kind of add to that discussion, um, because he plays in that egalitarian Eagle, uh, style offense, that's where you I get. Yeah, that's a right. That's what,
1: not right. That's not right at all. we're trying to use on?
0: <laughs> it's all right. This bad when the kid from Arkansas is trying to, to come up with the words <laughs> yeah, here, No, but um, the the thing that I really appreciate about uh, Trey's game is that the offense that he's playing in, you get to kind of see him coexist along so many different player types. That he's going to get to play alongside with in the NBA, right? With Nemhart, you're kind of like traditional point guard, like initiator. You get to see Trey play off of him as a as a as a secondary, tertiary creator, like Maxwell outlined, and as a spot up guy with Baylor Shireman, a, a bigger jumbo initiator type, and you get to see Trey play alongside him with Arthur Kaluma, a slashing kind of in the paint. Uh, kind of isolationist, you get to see him with him. And then with Kalkbrenner, you get to see him run two-man game with him, set him up for with a legitimate
1: or, like NBA style big man.
0: Yeah. Rim running big man, right? Who um he can develop a two-game a two-man game with which he has and he can kind of work on masking a lob and a floater, which is like a deadly signature skill that any guard in the NBA can have, right? So I love all of those things that he can bring to it. And then I didn't realize that he had a six nine wingspan, but that it it looks the part when you watch him play and which is going to help him with that point of attack defense. I love Nathan that you brought up like the at rim stuff doesn't necessarily mean that you're throwing it down or that you're laying the ball up. It's whatever pressure you can cause the defense to collapse around you and find the open guy, which Trey has shown and throughout the season I've asked myself, and I know that we all kind of do this is like this or that prospect. And one guy that I keep comparing Trey Alexander to is Des Moines Hodge, another no ceilings kind of favorite with a lot of us. And, you know, I watched him play live and I asked uh, Metcalf, who is a big uh, Trey Alexander fan, what the difference between those two is. And he pointed to the handle and I went back and watched more Creighton. And obviously in the tournament, we've got to see it. It's, it's miles away. So right now in my top, uh, my, my big board, I have to move Trey Alexander up because he is such a, he has much more stock, much more juice as an on ball creator. And that just plays in so nicely with those other ancillary skills that he has. So he at least has to be kind of in that like top 45 range to me mm-hmm. on my board. It's just trying to reorchestrate who's who in the zoo in that range now. So, yeah. And two, just two things I throw in real quick. Cause like I think I like Dumoy Hodge a lot. Um, yeah. with the Moy Hodge, I
2: think one of the concerns is age, like he's 24 and a yeah. half and something else I did not realize about Trey is that he's still 19, which is another one of those things where it's like, Ooh, interesting. all right, like the, the real cap. GM page. Cause like I've, I've tried to be better with college basketball being what it is now, like real GM pages generally have guys birthdays on them. And like, there's just been too many times. I'm like, this guy's pretty interesting. And then you go to the real champ page and they're like 29 years old. Like they're, (laughs) they're, they're finishing their, their medical degree. And a couple years away from retirement. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, But with Trey, it was like, oh, all right. Like you're still younger. Like you're, I think younger than a guy like Brandon Miller even. So it's like, all right, well. You know, I think he should probably be ahead of Brandon Miller on some. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, but, right. Because, because of his <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he is like, he is a real deal player and he's still very young and has a lot of room to grow. So um, I think when you put it in that context of like, if he was a freshman and he was doing all this, like, then what am I looking at? Like, then yeah. is he a guy that I consider top 30? Because, um, like, for me, and if he like, was doing I'm, it at Kentucky, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And like, the more, the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, and, on on Trey as a a pro like in like really like a top a top 30 guy um yeah I need I need to mess with my board a little bit just to like be sure that's where I am but after the film dive it was like I'd I'd honestly feel comfortable guaranteeing this guy money I talk about that all the time like that's a huge hang-up for me and like wanting guys to go back to school and like it's a real
1: hang-up because it is a real hang-up right it is yeah yeah when when we're just it's it's one thing to say so and so should be taken at at whatever spot like on social media but it's another to actually do this exercise where you're trying to put yourself in the minds of other scouts and gms in the league who are more responsible for actually making sure that these guys have a roster spot on their Mm -hmm. team and like they're trying to figure out what type of contract do i give this player who how am i trying to pay him do i want to keep him after you know the two plus two like like how do I operate in these situations? Like Maxwell is, is one of these analysts who he's going to think about that stuff all the time. And if he says that he likes somebody that immediately puts a light bulb on in my head, like I I need to go double check and make sure that I'm sure about where I am on this player, because when you take those things into account, your, your evaluations and your overall analysis becomes much less hot takey more. So like I am going to stake my claim on this. Like, this is what I firmly believe and that should be more of what scouting's all about. Not just trying to, to be the first guy to somebody or, or, or be like the, the hot take out there. Like I would take this guy in the first round. Like, would you take him in the first round? So like mm-hmm. the, the two plus two, like you, you think this guy's a second contract? Like, like these are all things that we, we should do better myself included at, at doing and, and evaluating on, on the rig board. Sorry, Maxwell. I like cut you yeah. off in the most ridiculous way. But.
2: No, 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 no. I, I agree with all that. And I think like, there's two things I've been thinking about a lot with him too. And one is um, I think he would be a combine killer. Like we look at guys who 100%. did well at the combine the last couple of years. And it's like, these just guards that know how to play with pace. And like, you can throw on a floor where like nobody really knows what's happening. There's not a ton of structure and you can just thrive in that lack of structure. Like with guys who've never played defense together before. Like I think Trey might just like, tear everybody apart I'll, I'll
1: do you one better i think he's a pre-draft workout killer oh yeah why yeah. why Why would i want somebody to go up against trey alexander in, in, mm-hmm. in a pre-draft workout like a private workout setting like yeah he on both ends he could destroy other guards yeah. Yeah, if you're
0: advising Terquavion Smith, are you like, hey man, your matchup is uh, trans- <laughs> I would yeah, pay yeah, yeah. to see that, that I would matchup. See. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think that's like a big thing that's
2: gonna work in his favor. Um and like that's another thing I just like about him in general, is like he's he's just not a guy that makes mistakes. Like I, I talk in the piece a little bit about uh like the 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 British version of the Kitchen Nightmares TV show, which is like a lot different <laughs> than the American version. It's a lot more like subdued. And like one of the things that like Chef Ramsey always talks about in that show is like, don't put too much on the plate. Like, know what you don't need to put on the plate. Like, Trey knows what not to put on the plate as a player. Like, he knows what not to do, knows how to play within himself. So, like, I do think the pre-draft process would be very kind to him. Um, and I know like consensus matters. Like, yeah. I think it's easy to be like, oh, I yeah, I take this guy in the first round, he should go pro or whatever. And like, if the consensus doesn't say that, it's difficult for that like prospect to make that decision. But I do think teams should be all over the idea of like giving him a Kennedy Chandler deal in the second round at the very least. Like if I could get him on like a four year deal or let's like partially guaranteed or whatever, I'd be, Oh yeah. Like I'd be all over that. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm really weighing a first round grade for him. Like I, I just feel so comfortable with what he does do, what he knows not to do, uh, the way he defends the length and the age. Um, but like, I, it's a very easy second round grade for me at, at the very least, just because yeah, I, he's the guy that you want on your team, and the draft is, and he's not like a project either. Like he's not a guy no, where it's like not. oh, we've got to devote so many resources. We have to make sure he stops doing this or that. It's like you just let him go. You like set it and forget it with Trey Alexander. I feel like.
0: Before history is written. Bobby
1: Orr, behind the,
2: it's played before it's frozen in time. It's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver. It's carved in ice.
0: What happens next? Will last forever. The Stanley cup final on ABC and ESPN plus begins Saturday.
1: Maxwell, you're, you're a professional podcaster because you just mm-hmm. whipped out the, the no what you should put on the plate line and mm-hmm. then we're going to talk about potentially a prospect in Miami who I'm I'm not quite sure he knows what to put on his plate. But let, let let's talk about some of these fun Miami Hurricane dudes because as Steven alluded to, one of the best elite 8 games also that I've seen in a while, Miami's on their way to the final four and they've they've been an unsung story in the ACC really all season long. I admittedly did not give them nearly enough attention as I probably should have, in all honesty. But Miami has a number of interesting prospects, certainly three guards slash wings that we're going to talk about. And then they, they have another big man in North Chad O'Meara who he, I'm not in love with him as like an NBA prospects some people may may very well might be you guys can bring them up in a discussion i don't know where you want to go but like i have a few guys shoehorned in here steven i'll go to you first out of these miami guys who's done the most for you in this tournament run in a number of key wins to get to the final four who's like one of these prospects so you're like yep I'm, I'm, i'm starting to buy a lot of stock on this guy
0: that's a tough one man like there's two guys that i'm like becoming pretty in on but I'll go with the guy that I'm going to be writing about soon. I'll go with Jordan Miller and a prospect who, you know, we've talked about in the no-sailings group chat for a little while now. And, you know, the we've seen words like interesting get thrown out a lot with him uh, leading up into like the ACC tournament and, um, and in March Madness. And I, the story with him, and I'm not trying – I don't want to spill too much because it's going to be in my article. But the story with him really dates back to transferring to Miami – um, from was it george mason i believe right so he 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 transferred Correct. over um to miami and they had a deep they had a deep run last season and he was like the fourth or fifth guy on that team and had moments where he like really stood out um obviously returning this year he had a more prominent role there were a couple transfers that came in you mentioned north shadow Amir. the other one nigel pack over from kansas state uh great great player in his own right too but I think that Jordan Miller, what he's done lately, has really opened my eyes as, a, as an evaluator. And I think that if he's opening my eyes, I think that there are going to be other people that are going to start taking a harder look at him and really start weighing the, uh, the, the thought that, is this guy someone that I want to draft? I think that easily a lot of people would agree that if you don't have a draftable grade on him, he's probably one of the first dudes that you're going to call after the draft is over and try to sign him as an undrafted free agent. I think that that is pretty uh, standard across the board. But the thing about him is that low-volume three-point shooter has touch indications, I feel, like around the basket um, and at the free throw line. I think that he is a very smart connective passer. Uh, his handle is pretty solid too. And what's interesting about him for Miami is that He's playing out of position, in my opinion, in college than what I think that he would be doing in the NBA. Like for Miami, he's more of like their four. I think in the NBA, he's probably like a two or a three, depending on the lineup. And with that being the case, like you're looking at a guy who's going to be pretty strong for his position when he gets up in the NBA, a guy who competes on the glass, which is very huge. I know Maxwell and I talk about that, too, is like if you look at people who make the NBA from college, rebounding rate is very prominent, and I think that he he checks the box there. He's very efficient on lower usage, even though he's uh, he's a high minutes percentage guy, low usage guy, high efficiency guy. So there are a lot of different ways that you can kind of pull up that ball of yarn. But if you watch the film in conjunction with looking at his numbers, he's very smart. He's very sav- savvy, cerebral. I think that he's making a case for me after doing some deep analytical stuff. Like over the past couple of days, I'm going to dive deeper into the film um, on top of the film that I've already watched. But I think like the stuff that I've ran, he is hitting the mark compared to a lot of other guys who have made the NBA and a lot of guys that are going to get drafted very highly in this class. I'm not saying that to suggest that he should be in your first round, but if he's doing that in the film's checks and he looks good, he's a guy that you probably should start seriously considering investing some sort of draft capital in, whether it's like middle of the second round type guy. Maybe you get creative with his contract structure. um, But... He's quickly transitioning for me as a guy who I'm like, okay, he's kind of neat. I would call him after the draft To I really want to consider drafting him now.
1: I mean, Jordan Miller today in, in this game against Texas to go to the final four, right? So seven of seven from yeah. the field, 13 of 13 from the free throw line. So so didn't attempt the three, is isn't a high volume shooter. I, I don't buy a, a lot into the jump shot being a, a real weapon for him in the NBA necessarily but how creative he is with his footwork, with his ability mm-hmm. to get inside, get to the paint, draw contact, um, some of his live dribble playmaking ability. Him defensively, you mentioned the rebounding, Stephen, but also just him working on the perimeter and being able to switch around different positions. He's always talking yep. to people. He's very communicative. He's just somebody who he knows where he needs to be at all times, and maybe he's not the most exceptional athlete, but I think being like that six 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 seven with real length, that lets him get away with a few of those things. But I if think he's he knows- pretty
0: deceptive athletically, you know, like that, he's not I, really poppy, but he's, yep. he's better. He, I think he's better athletically than he gets credit for. And then what I think the defense is anticipating. The, it's funny
2: you mentioned that. Cause it, just real quick, as you say, it's like the biggest thing that I like, have in my notes to look for when i go back to look at him it's just to Mm -hmm. like really determine where i fall on him athletically because i think that's going to really determine like where i think the shot needs to be um because i'm i'm also a little bit skeptical about the shot um but yeah like he's just so smart like we talk about the value of just like low maintenance players all the time and like it does not get more low maintenance and effective than than jordan miller
1: the, the, these guys who are older coming into the NBA and, and the ones out of that pool of players who usually stick around are, to Steven's point, these, these guys who are very high IQ. They process the game. They see the floor well on both sides, and they, they, they meet a baseline of physical tools and or athleticism. And then Jordan Miller checks all of those boxes. So why not take somebody like him? with a second round pick i think again there are our boards are going to shift dramatically over this next month to month and a half as we know who's going to be in the draft who's ultimately going back to school etc etc we will figure out that pool of players and and as we get down to the nitty-gritty when we look at a 31 to 60 on our boards we really have to look at all right there aren't as many second round picks just just being made in terms of like the 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 same as as they once were it's a lot of like two-way type of deals like picks are changing hands constantly like who would we actually value spending real draft capital on versus just saying hey i'm just going to give him a call when the draft is over let's see if we can work out some kind of deal maybe we're bringing him in on an exhibit 10 just get a better look at him maybe we'll yep. negotiate some kind of contract after that but like in this topsy-turvy second round world that we're kind of in in the nba draft landscape who do you want to spend capital on jordan miller seems like one of those guys we we, we can talk about maxwell who mm-hmm. who stood out to you in in miami's run which again just to kind of recap a little bit of the tournament i mean they, they've played in some big games and they've yep. won big games they they beat a really good Drake team who we all know Maxwell's favorite prospect, Tucker DeVries like that. That's what, that was a really experienced and, and and physical team for them to go yeah. up against. They Which you'll forget.
2: Them. They almost won. Like if Tucker did not have yeah. a very bad game <laughs> offensively,
0: like they could have won crazy. It's that was crazy. a Tucker good had a- matchup. He had a good, bad game, if that makes sense. Like, the shot wasn't yeah. there, but everything the else that was I watched fine. from him. Yeah.
1: Then, yeah. then they beat a battle-tested Indiana team with one of the better pick-and-roll combos we, we've had to evaluate in college basketball, no. potentially for the draft, and Jalen Huchifino and Trace Jackson Davis. They beat Houston, who was the number one or number two team in the country for basically the entire length of the season, and now they knocked off a Texas team who, for their own right, was, in in my eyes... I think they were the most consistent team in the Big 12 uh, all season long. So that that's quite the gauntlet that Miami's gone through. But but who who's really been the story for this Miami team for for you Maxwell?
2: We want to talk about Wuga Poplar? Let's, I I knew we,
1: I knew we were going to go there. So let's right, let's, let's do, do it. it.
2: So yeah, so I I'm not in the like he's got to come out Wuga Wooga, GoPro. I like I'm not there. I'm just uh, buzzing. I've, I like you poplar a lot though. Like I, I think he's really interesting. Um, I think he's a good athlete. I uh, six, five and like real, real deal shooter. Mm-hmm. Like I, another guy where she's like, I have zero questions about that man's ability to shoot the basketball. And like, even like, if you go back, um, I had somebody ask me about him like real early in the season, like someone was like, Hey, what do you think about Wooga popper? And I was like, I, I'd like watch like two Miami games at that point. And it's I was like, yeah, I remember him being like kind of out of control on drives, like wasn't really a fan, but his touch looked good or whatever. And like, I still think that's like a, a bit of a concern, like the decision making is like far from consistent, but he does have real flashes as a passer. Like he had a yeah. a behind the, like an on the go, like backwards pocket pass to, to Omir. I, it was either Omir or Miller in one of like the, the earlier rounds of the tournament. Um, yeah. He's just like an excellent jump shooter. Um, he doesn't I haven't seen like a ton from him off of movement yet. And again, like this is just not a guy I was prepared to talk about as a 2023 prospect, like some people
1: no, are no doing and
2: like has. he genuinely might test. Like I would not be shocked yeah. at all if he like he kind probably should. Like he can't mm-hmm. hurt to just go in and get some feedback and then go back to Miami, which by the way, like really proving themselves this is a phenomenal developmental program at this point. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's six five athletic and is hitting thirty-eight percent of his threes. High percentage at the free throw line. Um, toolsy defender. I wouldn't call him a good defender.
1: Um, I he is to to me. I think the defense is horrid right yeah. now. I don't. Yeah. He's had some good do. moments. Sure, moments. Yeah. I wouldn't have to do like, one thing on an NBA floor. That's so that's take. that's
2: my hang up with wuga on defense. Is I think that like I think there's a real real path for him. And mm-hmm. I think it starts with proving that he can do a bit more offensively because right now he gets to he's in a really nice spot. He gets to play off of Nigel Pack, mm-hmm. he gets to play off of Isaiah Wong, and he's play off of Jordan Miller. So he's getting to play off of an electric shooter, an electric scorer who's grown a lot as a passer. And just one of the smartest pass, like smartest forward type players around in Jordan Miller. So like his situation is pretty ideal. Like it mm-hmm. is very, like the table is very much set for Wuga Poplar. So to me, he is a prove it guy. It's like, I want to see you go back to school. I want you to prove that you can lock in defensively. And I want to prove that you can take on more of a higher workload offensively. Cause I'm just not that excited about drafting a guy who is an inconsistent defender while playing a smaller role as it is. Um, like that's where it's just like kind of a deal breaker for 2023 for me. Um, but I think Wuga poplar is a, a real prospect and somebody who's worth talking about and worth monitoring
1: and worth being excited about
2: nothing wrong with being mm-hmm. excited about prospects.
1: The, the, the talent, just, just the raw talent for, for Wuga poplar is, is undeniable, right? Like mm-hmm. everything really with gets Maxwell up. With the outline, he, he is, he, he is a, a really good guard athlete. He can get up. He's super fast. He, the, the jump shot, the touch, all of that is legit 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 stuff. I just feel like he he's still figuring out how to play the game of basketball at a higher level. But I think if and when he does that, he could be a. a I I understand why the the buzz is real from from draft twitter because if he does that, I I I I don't know what what the upside could possibly look like for for somebody like Poplar. Like it could be it could be pretty freaking awesome. And to Steven's point, like the to me, I, I, I went back, I, I watched some of Miami's games in the ACC tournament, and then I've been watching Miami in the NCAA tournament. For me, from what I've seen of late, because I really hadn't watched Miami since the very beginning of the season, this was Wooga Poplar's best game today yeah. what was against texas right so he was six of seven from the floor so sixteen points, six rebounds four assists two steals getting active playing pass lanes on the defensive side of the ball yep. was a little more disciplined defensively today than he has been in prior tournament games but then zero turnovers right so he didn't fall out of the game he didn't turn the ball over he played to a lower usage role he took the shots that he was supposed to he made the shots that he was supposed to and you watch a game like today and you're like, Steven, why isn't this guy entering? Why, why isn't he (laughs) entering the the 2023 NBA draft? But like, I know that you're, you're a big Wuga popular guy of late as well. So like, are you in Maxwell's camp? Like it's, it's one thing to think like, should he test or not? But like, is there a real chance that we're looking back and, and we're saying like, wow, we talked about Wuga maybe being a 2024 guy. Was there a chance like June comes around and yeah, he's actually drafted in, in twenty twenty three. Like, what do you think?
0: I I'm not gonna rule anything out this early in the game, and like, it's Our crazy man. to say it's still early <laughs> in the game because the the season's almost over. But there's transfer portal, it's there's season, declaration at yeah. silly season, and Maxwell said like, if he's interested, yeah, go and test. Like, there got to be some front offices that are like, how come none of you guys have told me about Wuga Poplar yet? And they're gonna mm-hmm. be like, well, he hasn't really done too much until lately like all right well let's do the, the counting the counting the stats themselves the
1: and like the the usage and like the type of role. Yeah. like none of those things are going to jump out of you it's only when you start to, to dig into some of the advanced numbers a little bit and then you turn on the film and and, and you're watching more and more and more and you're like oh wow like like the the, the counting numbers don't match what this guy's potential could be if the role changes
0: And I think there's like some coach stuff to him, too, that NBA teams are going to really be interested in, too. Right. Like he was on their tournament team last year, like very minimum rule, like did not play much at all, but like had the experience playing alongside more senior guys. He has a year of development under his belt Um, to Maxwell's point again about how Miami is like solely training out like real talented players he's coming in more prominently featured role and has been trusted more and more throughout the year. Like I was listening to the broadcast in the Miami game today and coach Laronega has the philosophy is like, you train them and then you trust them. And like mm-hmm. the fact that Uga Poplar is out there in the capacity that he is when they have two like very senior shot creators in Wong and pack. And then they have Jordan Miller, who's uh like a foundational piece as well. The fact that Uga Poplar could come out there and do the things that he's doing says that the teammates trust them and that the coach trusts them as well. And I kind of like, in one of our previous playbacks that we've did, I kind of like half-heartedly mentioned him as like a Terrence Ross. Like the streets are saying that he's the next Terrence Ross. I'm kind of starting to see a vision where he could end up being like a Terrence Ross type dude with the jump shot, with the athleticism. He's pretty smart. Like he had the uh, assist in this game too, where he did the inbound, threw it off of the back of a player and uh, caught it in, and dunked it off of an inbound, like two, off of two feet. Mm-hmm. Took a couple. That's, steps clever. That's clever stuff. Yeah, like, very savvy dude, and he's not, like, a great defender, but I think he has shown, like, incremental improvements with more time in the latter half of the season. So that all speaks to, in my opinion, like, why not test? Why not invite him? Let's see what this guy has. And, like, he is he the pre-draft candidate of this class now, you know?
2: Yeah, I, I'm still, like, I'd really like to see him go back. But I, I do too. think, like, one other thing I want to, like kind of single out that I think may help his case, whether it's this year or next, is sure. I think a lot of front offices might be impressed with the fact he didn't transfer. Like, we are seeing so many guys that, like, the transfer, like, I...
0: The, the transfer decision
2: I've ever of made my life is, yeah. is setting uh, text alerts for the portal update Twitter account. Like, <laughs> yes. I'm just constantly like, oh, this guy's in the portal, this guy's in the portal, whatever. And, like, so many guys, like, you see that go in, don't play as freshmen, and are immediately just like, I'm out of here. And I think that NBA teams will likely value the fact that this is a guy who did not get a lot of run of his fresh as a freshman Realized like I'm getting better here and like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to stick with it and then saw it through. Like, I think that really will help him out uh, in the long run, just in terms of how people perceive him. For sure.
1: I would agree with that. 100%. So for the sake of time, uh, I had originally written down that because Gonzaga UCLA was, was such an awesome uh, sweet 16 game. Uh, I, I was going to cover both UCLA prospects as well as Gonzaga, but Gonzaga did make the run into the next round. Ultimately, they lost.
0: But This is West Coast, the East Coast bias at its finest right here. we're not right. going to so, talk about West Coast guys now.
1: So <laughs> I, I, Jaime Jaquez and Mari Bailey, we will 100% visit them on this podcast yeah. at some point. I have words coming out about both of them in the morning dunk, so I'm not, not too worried, but I did want to just – briefly discuss Julian Strother because I think Maxwell started to get excited about Mr. Strother uh, a little bit. He's somebody who I know Tyler Ruckers valued him very much so this year. I yep. know Albert, Nick, uh, Metcalf, like they, we're all pretty much big fans of Julian Strother. I I, I was there last year. I kind of waited off from, from his stock a little bit. Now I'm kind of coming back to it. He's just, you just look through the film, you look at the numbers, Maxwell, it, it's like a picture of consistency, essentially, mm-hmm. right? So it's like what, I know there's some concerns about his game, which you could probably talk about, but like what in particular made you send out a text that's like, I, I'm about to really be much more in on Julian Strother than I was
2: yeah i and like i'm i'm he's a guy that i will flip flop between like 26 and 45 900 times between now and draft like i can just i can feel it in my bones this is where i was with him last year too i think he's a real deal shooter i think he rebounds really well i think he has very good feel as a cutter um and I, I just think he's a better finisher than he's shown this year. And I think it showed up a lot more last year when Gonzaga had. Dude, the uh, floater is so freaking good. good. It's so good. And, like, the touch is there. But, like, last year mm-hmm. he got all the way to the rim a lot more. Because, like, the paint was a little bit open. Like, everything was just a little bit space. Everything ran a little bit smoother. Like, he was just a skill that he was able to better utilize last year. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, he's he's six seven and a plus rebounder can really shoot the ball and knows how to cut, like, I think his handle, like, by NBA standards kind of stinks. I don't really trust him as a passer at all. I think his defense is, like, not good. Uh, I think especially, like, I shouldn't say especially on the ball, but I think on the ball, like, he he gives guys way too much space like yep. consistently just is playing way too far off of the ball which then raises I think the question like why is he doing like,
0: that because he, he has to like cuz he's got Drew timmy behind happening. him to clean up the mess that's oh, what that's it is.
2: that that could well, I'm like and like that could be part of it like maybe you, you put a better rim protector behind him and it's not as obvious of a concern but at the end of the day like he just is a player of a certain size who can shoot and can rebound and can finish and it's like well that's like better than a lot of people like i don't know like that's that's the most boring case for a guy you could possibly make uh but when you have that size and like you're a forty percent three three-point shooter and i have no reason to believe that you're not gonna continue to shoot the next level like can do it off of movement really good transition shooter i don't know i i I just think it's it's kind of like you're overthinking it if you pass on him for projects at a certain point Once, like, Mm -hmm. you just know that he can do a couple of things really well and you have to just hope and pray the others come around.
1: Well, Steven, like even though Strother didn't have his most efficient shooting mark through these four tournament games, there's 38% for the field under 30% for three point range. He still found a way to get 16 points per game. And he was rebounding as he has all season, every single game, almost nine rebounds a game through those four tournament games. He really helped Gonzaga, especially win that game against UCLA with some big shot making down the stretch. He just feels like the, this this really safe guy that you can have in your rotation, and you kind of know what you're getting from him, night in and, and night out. Has Strotha really stood out to you, or you you have him as like a first round guy? I don't have him as a first round
0: guy, but I have early him second. In that, I have him in that ever so illustrious twenty five to thirty five range, you know, or I think I actually might have him like closer to. 38. So anyway, like 25 to 40. Early which, second round. Sure. Yeah, so like what Maxwell said, like very fluid range of prospects that like depending on the day I could have him up significantly higher. But to Maxwell's point, and when he said that, I was feeling very much so the same way like watching him in the tournament and just thinking like, if I liked Jordan Wara out of Louisville as a late first round guy, like why on earth am I not considering Julian straw through there. And you talked about, (laughs) and you talked about the efficiency in the tournament. Like that's not his fault. Like that's just Gonzaga was atrocious. Like as a, as an entire team throughout the tournament, like coming in, being one of the most efficient offenses, and then putting up the stinkers that they've had efficiency wise and still beating teams. Like that's not on Jordan Nora. And unfortunately for him, like his play type, if the team is struggling, it's going to be very difficult for him to shine. You know what I mean? Like if, if Timmy not being efficient, if the three point shooting around him isn't helping him out and the defense can really hone in on him, that's really going to cause him a lot of issues. But I think because this is probably the most lackluster Gonzaga team that we've seen in, in a little while, even though they're still like really, really good. Um, it's just. I think that's why Strother's stock has fallen a little bit is that Gonzaga's star has fallen or dimmed a little bit more. But yeah, there's there's a, there's a room for him. And look at what Jordan Noir is doing for the Pacers right now, like as a second draft guy on Indy. And again, if I like Noir, I don't know why I wouldn't be higher on Strother than I have been right now.
1: I don't think Strother has the same sort of like pseudo on-ball equity that somebody like Noir has, but... yeah. I do think the point I'll make about Strath, before we get to our last topic, there's something about these the the stigma around we want we want every prospect to be able to do everything on the floor. Yes, right? and like at, at at some point we get we get to it where it's just not fair to expect everything from a guy who we're targeting like a 25 to 40 range. So may, maybe he's not this awesome playmaker on the ball. Maybe he's not breaking guys down left and right and putting immense pressure on the rim or whatever the case may be. But even if he is an off-ball oriented player, if he rates out in the 93rd percentile in total offense. If he rates out well in spot-ups and transition offense. When he does get opportunities in pick and roll, when you can bring him off screens and off handoffs and cut into the basket, when he is a very legitimate jump shooter on on both triple jumper Situations, catch and shoot situations. We mentioned the floater touch. When you are a player who has all of those different skills, essentially different tools in your toolbox. I, I get you want them to be a little more in certain areas, but like let's let, let's let's calm down a little bit. Let's actually take into account what this guy can do, right? And how an NBA team can kind of just throw him into a bunch of different situations. Ask him to do something, and more likely than not, if it's within his role, he can do it right. As as Maxwell said, like fifteen minutes ago, know what you can put on the plate. Just just be mm-hmm. who you are, be what you're about, and ultimately, he he he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he meets measurable boxes, and then all the array of skills that I talked about. This is a guy who I I can't see him going lower than like thirty five at this point of the draft. He could absolutely drop. Anybody can drop. But I really, truly believe that he's going to be there in like the 25-35 range. A team's going to talk themselves into him because the the chances of him just being a, a, a pretty solid rotation guy, I think are higher than him busting and not getting another chance in, in the NBA. looked like you wanted to, to make a comment, Steve, before we move to our last topic.
0: Oh, no. I, I'm I'm good, man. Like, I just... I'm just like Full nodding agreement. in agreement. <laughs> I'm in, I'm I'm nodding in agreement. Like you're mm-hmm. you're preaching the gospel. Like the biggest thing that I like what you said about that is like at some point, like a player that has a pretty projectable skill probably needs to be valued than a guy who's like, okay, he's not particularly great at one thing, but he can kind of do a bunch of stuff, you know? Like yeah, 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 guy's And He's not just kind of can do a bunch great. of stuff,
1: like he can do a bunch of different things. Maybe they're not oh
0: specific not specific, but like saying that we shouldn't value him as high as some other guys because sure. he has like, like him versus one jordan really miller like yeah. for example exactly. it's like jordan miller it's like all right well like he kind of needs a lot
2: to click because like he's older it's so, like if it doesn't work right away like teams are just going to kind of be done with him and he really needs the shot to stick and like he can't really like lose a step athletically or else that could be an issue like with Strather, it's like just got to hit the shots that's and, why the shooting he, like when you shots, have that skill so, like,
1: it just just bakes into your evaluation so cleanly, and it opens up more doors for you than if you don't have it. So it's just it's another one of the examples, man. The, the, the NBA is, is offense, offense, offense. Everybody loves shooting. Everybody needs floor spacing. And if Strother can provide that in, in, in multiple different ways, then, then we're really cooking. So, all right. If, if you thought out there that I was going to do a March Madness podcast and Nathan? not talk about Brandon Miller, then you were wrong. We're 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 talking about Brandon Miller here. So this is what we're gonna do. Alabama prospect, six foot nine, two hundred pounds. He he was struggling, guys. He was struggling. He has not had a good tournament. 19.5% field goal percentage through March Madness. That's not great. 9.3 points per game, three of 19 from three-point range, 23 rebounds, six assists, three blocks, one steal. He did pile up stats in other categories, but 10 turnovers, the lack of shooting equity. He was lost in some areas defensively. I get the playmaking, the passing flashes, but Brandon Miller, Maxwell, are, are, are are we, are we valuing still Brandon Miller as Mm. highly as we once were? Has any of the tournament stuff impacted you? Like where are we at on, on Brandon Miller?
2: Yeah, he's, I mean, like he's still really good. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I've had him three for a long time and he's still three for me. Like I just didn't see anything that completely scared me off. I think the issues that he had were issues that people were harping on earlier in the year. It's that he kind of has clunky feet. He's not always super bursty. If he doesn't get the exact runway that he wants. And like sometimes when you're a guy that takes a lot of three, sometimes you just don't hit them. I'm not scared. Like I I think he just kind of had a rough patch of games. I think the, the problems that he showed are problems that we knew he had. Uh, this is why I just love him in the number three spot. And I think ultimately he's still six foot nine. I love that his defensive effort is always there. He's been rebounding like a maniac the last yep. month, like through the sec tournament. Um, he's been averaging 9.3 rebounds per game. Um, knows what he's doing defensively really smart. I think his passing has been phenomenal the last couple weeks as well. Like, we mentioned last time, like his eyes for the corners and things like that. Like that kind of stuff is still like really showing up more and more consistently. So I think there's been some important growth there, even though the shot didn't fall. Um, Yeah. I just, I I can't find myself selling any stock, but I do think for me, it just kind of further solidified like why I wasn't really willing to move off of scoot at number two. Um, Yeah. I, I just don't think he's like super wiggly, super shifty, super explosive and uh like his footwork's just not at a point where i think that he's going to be able to get everywhere he wants all the time and still be really efficient at the nba level i think he's going to be phenomenal like third option on a really really good team i think he can be a second option on some teams but uh yeah i just don't think he's like in a position where he could like really be a a franchise guy and maybe i'm wrong but that's just kind of where i'm at with him
1: I agree 100%, Maxwell. That was a, a very eloquent way to put it. And I think I think we've talked about the, the NBA draft and the NCAA tournament enough for, for one episode, guys. We really covered a lot of ground. We talked about a, a variety of prospects. So thank you all for hopping on this podcast with me. And thank you all out there listening to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. If you are not subscribed to this podcast, please, please, Go ahead make sure you are. If you aren't subscribed to our substack, stack, please make sure to go ahead and check us out. You can follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. You can follow Steven on Twitter at Steven G. Hoops. You can follow Maxwell on Twitter at Boundboards. And most importantly of all, at No Ceilings MBA on Twitter is where you're going to get all of our content updates, no matter what we're putting out, written form, podcast form, Uh, Tyler Rucker has been an absolute madman going at those finals highlight videos. Please make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, checking out all that content. But until we meet again on this podcast feed, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.